Hi, Paul Scanlon here. Thanks for taking the time to click on my podcast. I want to spend time focusing on my primary passions of leadership, personal development, communication, growing big people, and I hope that these podcasts really help and add value to your life and to your journey. Thanks for tuning in. Well, I'm going to read to you from Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 to 12, message version of this insight the wisest man who ever lived had um, about life and about relationships and about success in life. And he said, it's better to have a partner than go it alone. Share the work, share the wealth. If one falls down, the other helps. But if there's no one to help, tough. Two in a bed can warm each other. Alone, you shiver all night. By yourself, you're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? A three-stranded rope is not easily snapped. The title of this message tonight is Finding Your Peloton. Finding Your Peloton. Everybody say Peloton. Peloton. Say it again. One more time. Okay, I'm making you say it a few times because it is not a word you've recently used. So you need to hear yourself saying it so that you're on the same page with me that have been using this word quite a bit. Well, actually, this is quite a new message. I still don't know if it's a Ford or a Ferrari. We shall see. (laughs) I'm still early driving it, so we'll see. Um, But I'm making you say it three times, especially again so that, I don't know, maybe tomorrow, Wednesday, when someone says, what did that guy speak about on on Sunday night? You don't say uh, something about uh, finding your pelican. Okay? Though I believe God has a pelican for everyone. I don't know how I know that, but the Lord just revealed it to me right now. Now, peloton, as you can see with the image up there, is a cycling term. And um, I was watching uh, uh, one of our many European equivalents of Tour de France when I was watching this dynamic take place. And of course, the commentator is always using this word peloton, mentioning the peloton. So I captured it. I took a mental photograph of it. I wrote it down and I looked up the word and I was fascinated by, first of all, how strategic and forensically thought through these road races are. And the Tour de France, as you may know, is three weeks uh, long and the most prestigious race of its kind in the world. And the bunched up group of riders in a race and, the, and, and the, the length of the riders can be extended for several miles. But the, there are bunches that you'll see if you watch these road races. That bunched up group of riders is called a peloton. The, the word peloton comes from the French word for platoon. And the idea with the peloton is, the job of the peloton is that in the middle of that bunched up group of riders is a superstar rider called a sprinter. And the job of the peloton is all day, every day, for three weeks in the Tour de France, their job is to surround him to act as a windshield and a weather shield to reduce drag and to reduce energy being spent by him that he needs to save for the final probably 30 seconds of the day. And in the last, that's all it is, the last 30 seconds or so, of the day, the, pe- the peloton separate and the sprinter bolts for the line. All day, he has been 
conserving energy that he would lose if he was on the outside of the peloton where they've been buffeted by the wind and the rain and having to generate much more energy to stay upright and to keep the pace that what it is. But the guy in the middle is up to 70% less energy he has to expend to ride all day when he's surrounded by this human shield of bodies protecting him from the elements. So the peloton's job is literally to protect him, to escort him, to chaperone him, to guide him to the sprint moment at the end of the day. And if they've done their job well, by the time he has to break for the line, he has enough in the bank, he has enough juice left in the bank to make sure he's the one that beats the other, the other teams that are doing the same thing. There are multiple pelotons, all protecting their sprint rider, and the ones that do their job best and give most energy back to the sprinter, he's going to be the one that has most chance of being the first over the line at the end of each day. And then the scores are accumulative over three weeks, and the teams that had the most wins are the ones that finish up winning the Tour de France, and the sprint rider that had the most wins is the one that gets the medal. But of course, he's the sprinter, and he couldn't do what he did without the peloton and the team around him day in, day out, that helped him to win every single day. And I want to ask you tonight to think about, do you have the peloton factor in your life? Who are you doing life with? Who is doing life with you who feel that their role towards you and whose peloton are you part of? Because I think we should be both in a peloton that serves us that way and I think we should be part of serving someone else's peloton. I think it's both. But I want to ask you, now I've used this metaphor and explained what it is, who does this make you think of? Does anyone come to mind that you feel sees their role in life is to guide you, assist you, serve you, coach you, encourage you towards a winning life? Who does that for you? Because I think every human was designed to be part of a peloton. Jesus had his peloton. He had these 12 guys that took the heat for him. Uh, they also created quite a lot of heat for him. <laughs> Let's just get that clear. Um, I think he had more drama with them than he did with the crowds oftentimes. But that's part of what's involved in building a team. But they saw their role as serving him, looking after him, making sure that they were the advanced troop to prepare the way for him to get rooms ready and crowds ready. And they went ahead of him into towns and villages to prepare his visit. And so all of it was very thought through. And they were his team he did life with. And within that peloton, he had three. And also within these pelotons you'll see on screen are a smaller core, even within that peloton core, the, the, the peloton can be 20 or 30 riders. But inside that peloton, there's another inner circle of three or four riders whose job it is exclusively to stay stuck like glue to that sprint rider. So there's an outer wall of buffering and protection, and then there's an inner core of two or three. Now, these two or three um, internal riders that are close to him um, are literally called servants. Their role is described by the French word for servants, which is domestiques. They are called domestiques. Their role is to be domestiques, to be servants, to be house servants, to be servants like in Downton Abbey. 
The role is to, is to be domestiquing, to be serving the sprint rider, this small court. And Jesus had these three domestiques, these three close people that saw versions of him the others didn't, that were in intimate Q&A with him, that he took with him away from the broader peloton into other expressions that they didn't see because he knew that these three had a destiny that the other nine did not. And by the way, I never see anywhere in Scripture him explaining himself to the other nine that didn't get included. Um, because Jesus understood, and I think he taught them to understand, that, that team building is not a game of chess, it's a game of, it's a game of chess, not checkers, that everybody in the team doesn't have the same value and all move the same way. That's what we think team is, especially in the church. But team is more a game of chess when all the pieces that have different value move multiple directions, including backwards. Um, if backwards is your sweet spot, if that's where you should be moved back to, to function well, then that is a bonus because you will be happier to be taking a seat that's a little bit further back in your mind in the pecking order. And if you have a problem with that, it's called ego. Um, but the placement of people in the right seat to get the best out of them is an art. And Jesus placed these three guys around him. And the domestiques in the peloton are chosen especially for their stamina to stay with him all day and ride close without colliding. It is a, there's a lot of skill more than I realized in cycling when I've talked to professional competitive cyclers and studied this stuff online. And I want you to think who are these people in your life? The Apostle Paul had his peloton. We know he had Silas and we know he had Timothy and we know he had people that traveled with him extensively. But if you read Romans 16, which is just a long list of names that you're tempted to skip, read it sometime this week. It is a list of about 30 people, all of whom were part of Paul's peloton. They're only named once. So you don't know that they were in his life, but they were in his life enough for him to feel he had to mention and respect and honor them. Some of them he just said, he mentions a person's name and said, she was like a mother to me. That's all. Then he moves on. But that's a big thing to say about somebody in your life. So though she only gets one line, this lady, whoever she was, was hospitable and kind and loving and nurturing to him when he probably didn't have a mother. So he mentions the gift of these people. So Paul had his equivalent of the peloton that were helping him achieve what was in his heart to do. David had his mighty men. And before the mighty men, he had Jonathan that was one of his domestics. Jonathan was willing to surrender the throne, though he was the heir to be. Jonathan was willing to step aside and promote David to be king because Jonathan understood it's better to be a good sergeant than a bad general. And Jonathan knew that David would be a better king than he would ever be. So he was very happy to promote David to become king. And then for all kinds of reasons that are complicated, he chose to stay in Saul's peloton and died on a field he shouldn't have done with a sprint rider that he should have left a long time ago. Moses had Aaron, and Moses had Ur, and Moses had uh, his sister, Miriam, and Moses through his life had different individuals. Uh, Caleb, uh, one time his father-in-law came, Jethro, and acted as a temporary uh, peloton, advisor, counselor for a season of his life. Um, Joshua had Caleb, Jonathan had his armor bearer, and so on and so on. So, so it is biblically normal, I think it is humanly normal, that everybody should somewhere find and have not just friendships, not just family, not just blood relatives. Some of your blood relatives are the opposite of a peloton. Yeah. 
Some of the people you do life with because you do life with them because they're your family are not serving you at all. They're not helping you win in life at all. That's why I said this morning and say again tonight, the best thing some of you can do this week is to remove yourself from the family and friends WhatsApp channel because it's doing your head in. And you're on it because your family and to remove yourself, you're afraid of what they'll say to you, of who do you think you are, but you know being on there is not good. And you may say, I don't interact, I don't contribute. Yeah, but you're reading the stuff. You're reading the gossip and you're involved in the drama and it's often at someone else's expense. And so it's part of realizing that even though you have people around you, are they around you by design or default? Is who you do in life with, is that thought through, is it intentional? Because the peloton is very carefully chosen. You don't get to be in the peloton if you don't understand your role and you don't understand you're never on camera, your name's never mentioned. These are nameless, faceless people without whom the sprinter couldn't win. But they know that they're there to make him win because if he wins, they all win is how, they, how they're wired, this team thing, this team win. And I want to say that your peloton, um, I know I've referred to it and the picture on screen and the characters through scriptural history. I know I've mentioned a physical version of that, but your peloton doesn't have to only be physical. It can be virtual. You can now have an online peloton. You can have voices in your life that are people you'll never meet you can listen to them in a podcast or a TED talk or a book that you read or some way online you access that information and that wisdom in people's lives. You can now have a new young people in here all know your life is an internet life. My generation didn't grow up that way, but you are growing up in an internet world, meaning you have access to, to thousands, millions of voices and millions of ideas and millions of thinkers and thought leaders in any sphere of life you want to know more about, it's at your fingertips. It is a blessing. It is a great world to be growing up in. It has its downsides, but so did my world too that I grew up in. So you can find an online virtual peloton. You can find voices online, people online who get you more than the people who know you get you. You can find voices online that are able to interpret what's going on inside you more than the people you do life with that know you for years and still don't get you. So don't think your peloton has to be physical. Some of you may be sat here tonight thinking, well, I used to be able to answer that question easier a couple of years ago. But for a couple of years now, I've kind of felt I'm very much on my own. I'm outside the group. I'm not part of the in crowd. But... I don't want you to feel that this means you need fixing or something's wrong with you because maybe you're between pelotons because what no one tells us is that your pelotons change throughout your life. Who you do life with needs to change through your life based on what version of you you are at this season of your life and you are not the same person throughout your life. Neither should you be. Don't let anybody tell you, ah, you know, you've changed so much but they don't mean it as a compliment. You just change. This church has changed so much. I remember a lady saying to me, our church has changed so much. And she said it in a way that I knew it was a criticism. And I said, what do you mean? Well, it's got so large and so organized and so many crowds. And, and, and this lady had been in the church for 20 years. So when she came into the church, of course, none of that was true. So she's saying it like a complaint. And I said, um, well, are you saying that is not a good thing? She said, ah, it's not the same. I remember when. I said, hang on a minute. Let me get this straight. Are you still coming to this church for the same reasons you joined? 20 years on? 
you're still coming here because you want to have that kind of um, come by our, know everybody's name, um, sit where I always sit, not deal with strangers and crowds thing. Whatever needs in you brought you here, we're glad that we could meet those needs. But right now, 20 years on, you should be way beyond having, you should now be a, you should now be part of helping someone else to, well, I didn't make a dent on that lady's mind, I'm sure. But she is not uncommon around the world. In all walks of life, by the way, not just in church world, but many people get upset when things change as if change is some kind of bad thing. So you may be a version of you right now that feels more isolated or you can't readily bring names to your mind, but can you bring authors of books to your mind? Can you think of someone that you are following online, somebody on social media, and when you read their posts or you listen to their podcast, they are right now a primary voice into your life. Then they are part of your peloton. So I'm not up here wanting you to think that I am with some agenda up here um, of uh, a pastor. And you think I know what's coming. He's going to try and get us into small groups. He's going to try and get us in church more. He's going to say the church is your peloton. Because I want to say this to you. Remember now, okay, I pastored the same church for 32 years. So I got nothing to prove about loving the church. And by the way, I am pastoring a church for 32 years in a country where 98% of the population do not go to church and are anti-church, which is also true of Europe. So I've done my time in the trenches, <laughs> slogging it out with those British heathens. And we built a church of thousands in a country where people do not go to church. And I think I was able to do that because of thinking like this. I didn't have language for it, but because I realized later than I wished I had, I realized that, that the church doesn't have to be and should not be, neither should we claim it to be your only or main or primary peloton. It is arrogant for pastors to say to churches, this is your peloton. This is the only peloton you need. Planted in the house, you shall flourish. All that stuff we trot out. It is arrogant of any body of people. It is arrogant of any education system. It is arrogant of any people group. It is arrogant of any learning group to claim that we have within us the range, the mental range, that we have the we have the perspective range, that we have the emotional range, that we have the learning range, we have the information, the skill set, that we have enough empathy with all the planet in this room for you never to reach beyond this room to find a peloton voice in your life. It is arrogant of us in the church to claim that. And so I believe that the church should be, we want it to be part of your peloton. But it depends whether we're doing church well enough for you to feel that this is a place where you can entrust yourself to others that want to form part of your peloton and whether you feel you can contribute to being part of someone else's peloton in the life of the church. Because I do not believe, and this has been a problem around the world for many years, and I travel more now than I've ever done in churches around the world, and I think it's still widespread, that I think most pastors think the church is their peloton. That you're helping me win. I'm the sprint rider. The senior leader's the sprint rider. And you're kind of helping us win. And actually, it's the total reverse. That you are not my peloton. I am yours. 
You are my sprint riders. My job is to serve you to a win in life. Your job is to not help me win. My job is to help you win. My job is to build the kind of culture and the kind of empowerment and the kind of belief in you. My job is to build the kind of openness and the kind of love and the kind of grace and kindness and acceptance in our church that you win, that anybody that comes here can win. I just heard of a couple that came for the first time this morning to this church and loved it and are gonna decide to join this church. That's happened three times on this trip since I left and came to New Zealand and here. And I think, and I, I like that feedback because I think if they came on a Sunday when I was talking, they were surprised to find churches talk about stuff like I talked about in the way I talk about it, like many of you are tonight thinking, is there any Jesus coming up in this message? <laughs> and that's my point. When you think that way, you think there's no value in any voice that doesn't mention Jesus every five minutes. Because we've led you to believe that we are the ones that have the word. We are the ones that God speaks to. And, this is the, and all of the voices in your life must be devalued because this is the word. This is the word of God. And we use that language. And, and when, when I've listened to a lot of people that have said, you know, come back tonight or I'm doing a series. I've got a word. I've got a word. I've got a word. God gave me a word. And I listened to the word. I got more out of a 20-minute TED talk. So it feels like it's been over-promised and under-delivered often. But what it does is it builds in us this expectation that this is where the real stuff happens in your week. But some of you are going to go home tonight, go online and watch something, a podcast, listen to something that will set you up for the week more than been in church all day did. So I don't want to assume that this automatically is a highly functioning peloton for all of us. And that's okay. We want it to be. And we want the small group to be the smaller core that you do life with and flourish in that. But I know it doesn't suit everybody. This one size fits all doesn't work for everybody. So we want this to be a place where you win and you flourish. But if this is not that for you right now, we're just happy that you're finding it wherever you're finding it. Never feel bad that you're growing with voices and relationships that are not in your church and not even Christian. Never feel to apologize for that or explain it to anyone. All it matters is that you flourish as a human. As I said this morning, I stopped speaking to Christians years ago and started speaking to humans because what we had in our church is we had good Christians that were bad humans because we kept teaching people how to be good in the bubble, but they were not good in life. So they were very friendly and smiley here, but they didn't have a smile for somebody that was serving them a coffee tomorrow morning didn't have a smile for somebody that they walk past every day who is begging for a few coins in a doorway somewhere. No smile for that person. And that person in the doorway may well be Jesus in disguise. But we're spending all that love towards people who are already overloved. Some of us are, need to go on a love diet. Some of us are all loved up. You know, some of us get 20 texts a week to our phone telling us how loved and how appreciated we are. You don't need about 18 of them. Somebody else does. So we get overfed and overloaded, that live full, die empty thing. So this peloton often needs its own mirror pouring up to it to say, hang on a minute, is this a good functioning peloton? Are we, are we really functioning in the way that we're helping each other win in life? Or are we creating an environment where we have overfed, under-exercised riders? 
Well, thanks again for listening to today's podcast. I hope you found it beneficial. And uh, I know time is precious commodity for us all, but I would love it if you would take the time to write a review or comment. And above all, maybe subscribe to my podcast channel. Thank you.